Welcome to the Dirty Politics Podcast. In this episode, Simon and I are going to talk about alternate budgets and why Simon thinks that they're useful and I think that they're a dead set waste of time. Now, before we get cracking, I've got to say that I find budgets exceedingly boring, that the people who are most into these are like the David Farrer types that are policy wonks, and they really get a real kick out of going and sitting in a lockup for two or three hours listening to boring treasury type people and finance ministers wank on about how wonderful they are spending other people's money. I always find it really, really tough, Simon, to write about budgets because, frankly, I don't care and most of my readers probably don't care either. What's your thoughts on that? Well, I tend to agree with you in that they're pretty boring and most people don't take any notice of them. But I think that they do play an important role, not just in running the country, but also in understanding the political positions that government or an opposition is taking. And without an alternative budget, you end up with a incoherent set of random policies that look like they've been designed in a student union like the current government has. You know, Labour have come into power with no real plan or no real projection of where they're going to spend money and what it's going to achieve. And I think that that comes down to them not having had anyone willing to do the hard yards to develop an alternative budget. So when they got into power, they'd be able to say, oh, well, we will do this, 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 and this, and this is what it will cost. Do you think that it develops a discipline when it comes to fiscal understanding, a discipline that Grant Robertson didn't show whilst he was this opposition spokesperson on finance. He never did an alternate budget that I'm aware of. And then when he came into government, he was sitting there with all these demands from his ministers, but had not developed that fiscal discipline to tell them they could get stuffed. Or he was making judgments on the merits, not of the policy and how it fitted into an overall coherent strategy, but just on whether he thought it was a good idea or not, which is you know, pretty random. It's opinion-driven rather than strategy-driven. So yes, I think that Labor suffered because Robertson was just refused to put together an alternative budget and they generated policy pretty much on the fly without having a clear, coherent values that were reflected in their policy. And that came because they just lacked discipline and they lacked the discipline to demonstrate what they were going to do different from national. Is that why this budget, the first budget of Jacinda Ardern's government, has fallen flat with the commentariat out there because they haven't matched their rhetoric or that what's deliverable with the rhetoric prior to the election and then post the election uh, once they form the government. Do you think that that has contributed? Oh, absolutely. I think that they just don't have any real understanding of the tensions between the policies that they want to promote and what they cost. And, you know, as a classic example, they've gave a whole lot of money to students and effectively students' landlords rather than perhaps funding the doctor's visits that National were talking about funding or the teacher's salaries, which the teachers are now all upset about because students got money and teachers didn't. Same with nurses. And I think that that just shows that they didn't look at all the contrasting problems that come when you're actually forced to make decisions about where you're going to spend money. Well, a good example of that, just using the students, for example, funding first-year students. There's been a drop of some huge number of students attending university for the first year. So if the making it free for the first year of study was a driver to getting more people into study, well, that's a failure. But it's even more incongruent when you compare it with medical students who are in their final year and can't borrow 
anything more from the student loan scheme because it's timed out at five years. And some of them have had to do a three-year degree before they've gone and done medical studies and they can't borrow. Now, it only affects 144 students. It's a very tiny amount of money, but there's no money available for that. But there's a billion dollars for basically rich kids going to university. Oh, and doing useless arts degrees instead of something that we actually need. I mean, we'd need doctors and we don't need useless bloody arts degrees. I mean, how many useless philosophy graduates never really amount to much for our country and that's just a waste of time and they're all getting a free year's study? Well, politics students as well, of which the Prime Minister is one. Yeah, look, I don't think politics students are necessarily quite as useless as philosophy students, but I think that they're pretty useless nonetheless. Pretty close. Now, Phil Quinn wrote for us at Insight that he thought that alternative budgets were a bit wank. What are your thoughts on that? Look, I read what Phil wrote and thought, yes, I tend to agree with Phil. I think that Phil was absolutely onto something, that they are a bit of a waste of time. But I think that Phil's missing the real politic of what oppositions actually do when they're not competent. And he's probably thinking back to the very competent Helen Clark opposition that was well prepared and well organised and actually did have a strategy rather than the more recent Labour opposition and the current national opposition where discipline isn't something that they seem to have much of and they don't have a good handle on the finances and how the finances correlate to the policies that they're coming out with. Well, it's interesting you compare those two, especially the last Labour opposition who are now the government and the national opposition now. They both seem to have inherited rightly or wrongly, an attitude that the voters got it wrong or the system was slightly skewed. And it's okay if we just wait three years, we'll be back in government. Now, the Labour opposition to John Key's government trundled along for nine years like that. And it was only after John Key spectacularly resigned and we ended up with dopey old Bill English there that they had a chance. But again, only after they substituted Jacinda Ardern for Andrew Little. But Labour still had, and I think what we're seeing with this budget that's just gone and with the government's performance so far, an attitude that they didn't think that they were going to win, so they didn't do any planning or do any work. And that's the trap that I fear Amy Adams is falling into, thinking that National's going to get back in. She's the heir apparent to Simon Bridges in her own mind, but she hasn't done any work. And it's shown by her total silence since the budget was delivered. Now, she's the finance spokesperson. You would have thought she'd be front and centre. Judith Collins has made more of a play on aspects of the budget than Amy Adams has. Simon Bridges has too. So there's a lot of similarities there. And I think National is just cruising, thinking, well, we're a large opposition. We're going to make it back into government just by sitting here and watching the other side screw up. And I don't think that's the right attitude to have. No, you know, I think that you run into problems when you do have that kind of attitude because when you spectacularly fail, you end up like Labour after Goff failed and you're down in the polls, but you've lost all your good people and lost a lot of the institutional knowledge of how to get out of opposition. And you sort of flail around for a while, still thinking that the public got it wrong, but without having a really good coherent plan or coherent message about the direction you want to take the country in and the problems you're going to solve for New Zealanders. Now, Chris Trotter touched on this with his insight column about alternative budgets. And that's the great thing I like about Chris's writing 
is that he's got this institutional knowledge of the left that almost nobody has anymore. And he told us in that column that the discipline of Helen Clark and Michael Cullen was actually inherited by New Labour and Jim Anderton insisting that alternative budgets were costed, that they actually went out and spent their own money on hiring economists to look at an alternative budget so that they could credibly propose their hard-left socialist policies, but at least explain how they were going to pay for them. And Michael Cullen learnt from that, and that's the reason why he was such a successful finance minister. Yeah, and you know, you got to hand it to Chris. He was one of the ones that was involved in the alternative budget, so he had real experience. And I think that National look a bit out of their depth at the moment, and they could have reassured me if they had have actually put a decent alternative budget together saying, these are the things we would have done differently. This is why we would have done them differently. It is because we believe in free markets. We believe in individual responsibility. We believe in letting people make decisions about their own money rather than taking it off them and giving it back to them in in the form of some kind of middle class or corporate welfare. But there just wasn't really any of that. I mean, I just think that National were essentially missing an action because they didn't know what they would have done differently. Well, it's interesting because once we started writing these articles, once our insight columnists started talking about alternative budgets, I got a call from a couple of caucus members in National who said, well, don't hold your breath waiting for Amy Adams to do an alternative budget. She's swanning around for four weeks on the speaker's tour. I just couldn't believe that she had done that. Did you hear the same thing? I did. And my attitude was somewhat different to others in that I thought that if I had have been in a senior strategic role, I would have sacked her instantly. You know, if she had to come and said, oh, I want to go on a month-long Trevor Mallard, I'd say, great, well, here's your letter of resignation. There's plenty of people that want to fill the job, but look, take the four weeks, take as much time as you want. We just don't want you if you're not willing to do the hard yards. Yeah, you can go and sit on the back bench with the other members of your puddle. Yeah, and I can't understand how National were so unprofessional that they let the key person in the lead up to the budget, just go on a jaunt for four weeks or whatever it was. The speakers too is a joke anyway. And why they thought that it was acceptable for their finance spokeswoman to go and do that, it's just beyond me. What I can't understand is whether or not National bothered to have anybody in the lockup because Simon Bridges stood up after Grant Robertson's budget, which was frankly boring. There wasn't anything stunning in there that was like, oh, wow. And then just started shouting and ranting about how it was a tax and spend and everything else budget. But the business response to the budget has been, few. at least we're not seeing any increased taxes and, yeah, we can live with this. The people who are hollering and whining and screaming the most are the teachers, the nurses, and the bludgers who think that they should have got more. So you can't say that it was a Labour Party budget. You can say it was a Bill English light or a light blue budget from what I've seen in feedback. And yet Simon Bridges was standing there railing against it. At least Judith Collins, when she spoke in Parliament, identified the massive flaws in some of the aspects of the policy and the policy buttons that are being pressed by this government. But this was no coherent answer. You know, oh, they're spending, but it's not quite the right sort of spending. Well, that's not good enough. It isn't. And it makes me pessimistic about how national are going to go in the 2020 election. They're not giving the respect that parliament and the political process demands and deserves. And that is just exemplified by the appalling decision to let Amy Adams go on a bloody jaunt for four weeks instead of preparing an alternative budget. 
Well, she's basically sandbagging Simon Bridges by doing this because he's got no concept of what's required for a budget. Oh, and you wonder if it was bloody deliberate. She doesn't do the hard yards for him so she can take over after the election when he fails because he hasn't had good, well-costed plans. Well, it's a bit like David Cunliffe doing that to Phil Goff in the famous Show Me the Money debate. Yeah. Cunliffe had that information. He hadn't passed that on to Goff, and Goff was gulping like a goldfish that had flopped out of the bowl and onto the carpet. So perhaps Amy Adams is doing that too. Well, yeah, and Simon Bridges was in Parliament then, and you just wonder whether he has forgotten that Cunliffe really set Goff up and ended up really making Goff look like an idiot. Yeah, I just don't think Amy Adams has got the support that she thinks she's got. Yeah. Doesn't no, well, stop them being undermining little weasels, though. No, and, you know, she does have a puddle of support that thinks that going on about climate change and being progressive is the way to win an election, which sort of beats me how you expect a red-blooded, blue-voting person to think that we need a leader who professes to be progressive. I don't know about you, Cam, but the last guy that said he was progressive and sort of made that kind of half-witted statement was Bill English before John Key lifted him up. 2002 was just a disaster. I, I was watching just in absolute shock and awe at some of the stupid things Bill English was saying. The guy was, you know, wet, and the people he surrounded himself with were wet. He kind of had to exhibit some fiscal prudence because of the global financial crisis. But if he could have, he would have spent a whole lot more on social policy and delivered a proper bludgers budget. The amount of money that was spent in social areas was phenomenal under national. And yet we had, you know, Labour, people like Robertson, decrying every cent of spending and saying they would have spent more. And now he's in government, we've got something different. Yeah, it's not good at all. I'm struggling to see why we'd want to vote for National over Labour at the moment, because on fiscal policy, they're almost identical. Almost identical. There's no reason, compelling reason, to vote National. No, I absolutely agree with that. I don't know that there's much reason for Middle New Zealand to change their vote, or key perhaps 4 or 5% that would allow National to govern again without a coalition partner, which they don't have. What's the reason that you'd switch your vote from this Labour government to a National one? In some respects, Jacinda Ardern is a conviction politician, although she's rather shallow when it comes to the actual thinking process of those convictions. So declaring before the election that the only reason why you're in Parliament is to solve child poverty, and then in all of your spending decisions since then, where you're the Prime Minister, you're in control of this, you're ignoring those promises that you made before the election. But in National, I don't see Simon Bridges as a conviction politician. I see him as a rather weak incrementalist and a poor copy or facsimile of John Key. What's your view on that? Yeah, I don't know whether I'd necessarily be quite so harsh, but until proven otherwise, I think that we at least need to just question whether he really is going to stand up for his convictions, whether he's one of the typical people in the National Party who talks fondly of Thatcher and Reagan and then acts far more like John Major or George Bush the First, not really much conviction and just incrementally managing things. Or David Cameron even. Oh, absolutely. For that matter, probably John Key as well. So what we're seeing here then is perhaps National not doing the hard yards, especially in the finance areas. Amy Adams was AWOL, basically, in the lead up towards the budget, sitting in hotels and enjoying, you know, long chats with Trevor Mallard and whoever else was bludging a trip on the speaker's tour. Where does that leave them? What should we be looking for next year in the midterm budget cycle 
Well, hopefully they actually have a coherent set of policies based around an alternative budget that is reflecting the actual reality of the government's books in May of next year and shows a clear direction that they're going to run into the 2020 election on. By May next year, we should be starting to see manifest problems with the promises of the government too, which should enable National to portray a vision to say, well, we were promised 100,000 houses, we've got 20. We were promised a billion trees and we've got 200,000 trees. And then they can start to pick apart the policies that support all of those things as well and say, well, we've spent all this money, but what's being delivered? Perhaps they took what Phil Quinn's option for this first budget of this government, and that is just to sit there, write it out, let the media work it out for themselves, and hope that nobody noticed that Amy didn't do any work. Yeah, you could be right there, but I'm not convinced. I won't be convinced until I hear people I trust that they actually are putting together an alternative budget, and it is going to come out and make Amy Adams look like she's actually done some work and is competent. What are we going to hear from Labour for the next 12 months? I think that they'll continue going on about underfunding and National causing all sorts of problems because they didn't waste a whole lot of taxpayers' money on dumb stuff, but you know, I don't think that the average punter believes that. I don't think anyone's listening to them because it's almost become a joke in my comments system when something goes wrong anywhere in the world. Somebody puts, oh, it'll be because of underfunding from John Key's government. The erupting volcano in Hawaii, that's the former Nationals government's problem because they didn't fund climate change enough or something like that. It's become a running gag now. Who do you think is going to pick up and benefit, though, in the next 12 months or leading up to the next budget, the next cycle? Things are pretty much unstructured at the moment, and we just don't really know what direction Labour are going to go or if they're competent enough to actually deliver what they've promised. At the same time, when we don't really have any clear indication of how National are going to set up for the 2020 election, which you know, by about this stage of the first year, they should have done all their focus groups and they should have had some pretty decent research. And you know, if Farah's doing it, it'll be good research and they should be you know, working out what issues they're going to run on for the next election. What about Winston? He's delivered quite a bit in the last eight months or so of this government to his supporters, and that's the overt supporters and then the soft supporters that are out there as well. Do you think he's going to be in a position to squeeze some more money out of this government? Oh, I would have thought so. I think that if the books are better, then the spending priorities that Labour have will have to be matched with some spending for New Zealand first. And I don't know what the hidden part of the coalition agreement says in terms of extra spending, but you can't imagine that Winston would accept that Labor can spend as much as they want and he's constrained on what he can spend on. Well, it could be a, a little fiscal landmine there that we won't know about until we know about it. No. How much pressure do you think the Greens are exerting on Grant Robertson and Jacinda Ardern in terms of spending? Well, I don't think that they're exerting very much, and I also wonder whether some of the victories that they've claimed are actually victories when you hear about increased funding for pest control and it's less than what National was increasing funding by. You wonder whether the Greens have really been sold out by Grant Robertson and you know, you'd have to admire him if he has sold them out, but at the same time they perhaps should have been standing up a little bit more for funding some of their priorities. Yeah, the victories that the Greens have claimed, one was delivered by National in previous budgets and you're right about the increased funding for pest eradication, but it's less than what National was going to do. And it seems the only plan is to dump 1080 everywhere. 
and nothing else, which I find the Greens' support for that kind of strange. But then I find Eugenie Sage kind of strange as well. Yeah, look, I'm not going to disagree with that, but I think that it probably shows the respective strengths in the minor parties. The Greens could only go with Labour, so they've got very little power, whereas New Zealand First could switch sides in theory tomorrow and Labour's out of power and we could have our national government. But, you know, that's why New Zealand First get money and the Greens don't. So this budget round is disappointing on all fronts, disappointing from the Labour perspective because Grant Robertson hadn't really done his homework and he's delivered a light blue budget that even Bill English probably would have been proud to deliver. Yeah, We've got New Zealand First getting some good policy gains along the way. We've got National missing in action apart from one or two key players, none of which are Amy Adams. The Greens got bought off a little bit with some things that have happened before. So it's all round pretty much, as I said at the beginning, dead set boring and no one cares. I'm not going to disagree with that, Cam. But um... but it sets us up, though, doesn't it, Simon, for next year. If we set higher expectations of our politicians and demand that they actually start doing some work for what we pay them to do, then we could actually see some good policy initiatives coming out from National 18 months out from an election. And perhaps we need to have a bit of a chat to our mate Farah about getting the stupid fucking speakers to can because that's just a junket. Unfortunately, we can't OIA that because it's parliamentary services spending and we can't find anything about that, which is, again, another broken promise of the government to reform the Official Information Act. It seems that they wanted to holler about that when they were in opposition, but have realised it would be an awful scary prospect to do that while they're in government. Well, I think that probably they decided that they needed to find someone to make Nanaya Mahuta look competent, and Claire Curran was the one they chose. (laughs) I'm not going to disagree with you on that, but I was talking to a senior journalist who was saying, oh, the Nats blew it, you know, they should have got Claire Curran. And I said to him, why? Why would you want to get Claire Curran? She's going to cause more damage sitting there. I would think that if she resigned or was forced to resign, the national strategist would go, whoops. And I think that Simon Bridges actually said that publicly too. And I thought, yeah, that's absolutely the right play. You know, keep Claire Curran there because, you know, that she just is going to keep making mistakes. And it was pretty obvious that her much vaunted changes to public broadcasting just didn't happen. And, you know, that she well, should when be you, held to account by that. Well, when you've got Russell Brown moaning that there's no trough for him to sup at, you know that they've got it wrong on public broadcasting. Yeah. But anyway, these are all discussions we can have for the next budget, and hopefully it'll be a whole lot more interesting. Well, well yeah, it would be if National actually got their shit together and put something together so they could argue about why... Labour are making the wrong choices and where they're spending money. You know what's got me stuffed is finance is not just the purview of one person in caucus. So there's Amy Adams and she's got a couple of offsiders. This was a chance for those offsiders to actually shine. That Amy was missing in action, that they could have come out and made a real play for that. And then Simon Bridges would have had a real dilemma on his hands. And I just can't work out why they don't do that. It's like they're all playing nice families at the moment inside caucus when I'd really like to see a bit of bloodletting going on. I'm all in favour of a bit of bloodletting, and I think that you're absolutely right. If I had have been in one of those junior roles or advising someone, in, oh, yeah, I'd be waving goodbye to Amy at the airport and I'd be sitting down and doing a month's hard work to make her look bloody useless. And, you know, politics often the enemy is on your own side. And Amy Adams is in the way of some aspiring national people who want to move up the ranks. And she gave them an opportunity and basically an open goal and they failed to score. Well, even an own goal. 
I couldn't yeah. even score that. <laughs> yeah. All right, thanks for coming on the uh, podcast, Simon, and uh, we'll plan another one shortly. Great.